to a Mother's Love Podcast. I am your host and founder, Kim Alexander, and today my co-host is author Loretta Waters. And we'll be talking about miscarriages and maternal mortality. I definitely think this is an important topic that we need to discuss um, because it does affect the African-American community at a higher percentage. Today, our special guest will be Dr. Nicole Plenty. She is an OBGYN specializing in high-risk pregnancy, and she also has her own podcast, which is called Pregnancy Pearls. Welcome, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Okay. Um, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. So um, I am, like you said, Kim, an OBGYN. And I also am a high-risk specialist, which is called a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And that means in my day-to-day, I am taking care of moms, only only pregnant women. Um, I don't do any GYN anymore, but um, I take care of pregnant women that may have complications during their pregnancy. Um, Sometimes I'm taking care of women that have um, very serious complications, like they've had a history of a heart attack or stroke or um, moms that may have babies that have anomalies that I've diagnosed. Um, And sometimes I'm taking care of moms that have, you know, day-to-day comorbidities that they've been dealing with for a while, such as hypertension or high blood pressure um, and diabetes. Um, So I take care of an array of different diagnoses in pregnancy um, and also diagnose um, different conditions um, dealing with pregnancy. I'm also the person that's taking care of people that are in the ICU with COVID. Um, So it's been a very, busy pandemic um, for me. Um, I'm from a really small town called Derrida, Louisiana. There's only about 10,000 people there. That is my (laughs) hometown. Um, It's by uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. And so, yeah, I went to Xavier with Kim. So I went to Xavier. We're Xavier, right? And then I went to Tulane for uh, medical school. And then um, I did fellowship and residency, then fellowship at um, Ole Miss. So, and now I'm in Houston. I'm practicing in Houston, Texas. Awesome. <laughs> well, we are happy to have you on our show. Like I said, um, the topics that we're going to be talking about today is very important because um, I had questions for myself prior to me even getting pregnant, um, suffering five miscarriages. And so uh, this is near and dear to my heart. And especially now with the um, my current pregnancy being diagnosed with um, gestational diabetes, um, the maternal mortality rate really scares me. Um, I cried when they said I was um, had just gestational diabetes because I didn't want to have that because my father is a diabetic, and just seeing him go through all the issues he have to go through through his diabetes and being on dialysis, I'm like, yeah, I don't want that during pregnancy. I don't want to have that after pregnancy. And so a lot of that stuff does scare me. Um, even being on a low-carb diet for me and being pregnant, I'm still hungry. Uh, um, but, I, tr- you know, for me, I take that serious because of the maternal mortality rate that we see in African-American women. Um, sure. So I definitely do take the gestational serious and the low carb diet that I'm on very serious because I don't want that to happen for to me or to anyone else that I know. Um, so like I said, I, I definitely think this is an important topic that uh, must be discussed and talked about because it's very rare that uh, people in the African-American community even talk about it. Um, I think that um, pregnancy is more like TV almost where it's like, oh, we can wear these heels, we can dress up. Pregnancy is great. 
um, you get pregnant, you can eat a lot of stuff, and then you have the baby and everything is wonderful. But they don't talk about the in-between of what happens in pregnancy um, when you're not feeling good. You have these aches and your pains or, like I said, the gestational diabetes or the high blood pressure and stuff like that. Um, so you don't, a lot of people don't know about that because they just see what is on TV and not what is reality. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I think this is going to be a wonderful topic. Um, so let's start right off right away. Can you just tell us what is a miscarriage? A lot of people don't know what it is. Um, you hear about it, but you really just don't know as what exactly a miscarriage is. So, um, Kim, let me start off by saying, you know, thank you for sharing your journey on mm -hmm. this podcast. Um, it's, it helps so many people to know that they are not alone. And it's not just like, oh, you get pregnant. I'm going to wear heels and like this cute maternity dress and take these maternity pictures. And it's all good right. because there are a lot of women that are suffering in silence. And so they think that they're alone when they can look around the room if they're in a room full of people and over half of them have experienced something in their pregnancy. So thank mm -hmm. you for sharing your journey. Um, I, I will say uh, this um, miscarriage is a loss of a pregnancy, period. Now, as a, as a doctor, we describe different types of miscarriages, right? And so for us, somebody could say they had a miscarriage and they that means they lost the baby at 30 weeks. For a physician, that is a stillbirth. So um, we differentiate miscarriage for any time you've lost the baby, whether that is you went into labor and you lost that baby or whether the heartbeat stopped before 20 weeks. So anything before 20 weeks for a physician is a miscarriage. Okay. Um, if you're over 20 weeks and the heartbeat stopped or you um, had a, a demise for some reason, like you had an abruption or where the placenta separates from the inside of the uterus, um, then that would be considered a stillbirth. So those are the, the difference between miscarriage and stillbirth. Um, when we talk about miscarriages, there are different types of miscarriages and physicians will call them abortions. So you may see them document in your chart as abortions. And I had people call me and say, I didn't have an abortion, I had a miscarriage. Well, it's semantics in the medical field and there are different types of abortions. There are spontaneous abortions, which is what most people refer to as a miscarriage, meaning you just went into labor and you delivered. And so mm -hmm. you had a miscarriage, you had a spontaneous abortion because your cervix dilated and then you lost the baby. Um, you could have a missed abortion, which is when the heartbeat stopped. So you saw a heartbeat and then you went back the week later, there was no heartbeat. Or you saw a heartbeat and then you went back and there was nothing except for an empty gestational sac. That would be considered a missed abortion. Um, and then you have things like threatened abortions, which is not a miscarriage. Those can go on to be normal pregnancy. It just means that you've either dilated some or you started bleeding before the 20th week. And so you're threatened to have um, an abortion. Um, so those are different types of miscarriages, if you will, um, that are diagnosed before 20 weeks. But just a reminder, after 20 weeks is a stillbirth. Um so then what are the main causes of a miscarriage? Um, sometimes I just say, you, you know, you hear doctors say, oh, well, it's just genetics or we really don't know what causes it. So um, from your standpoint, what what yep. causes? I do a lot of preconception consults, meaning I counsel a lot of women and do a lot of evaluations before people get pregnant to try to see if there was a cause for a miscarriage so that they won't go through the same thing when they do get pregnant. And honestly, Kim, unfortunately, Half of miscarriages are unknown. Like we have no idea why. 
And, um, and a third of women that are less than age 35 will experience a miscarriage. That number goes up after 35 to about 35 to 40% in the first trimester. So sometimes it's just that there's nothing wrong. Um, it's just that a third of women have miscarriages in the first trimester and half of those reasons, we will never know why. Now, out of the reasons we know why, we know the number one cause is chromosomal abnormalities. There are certain chromosomal abnormalities that babies will not be able to survive. It's not compatible with life. Trisomy 16 is the most common trisomy of a miscarriage, okay? And that's when you have an extra copy on the number 16 chromosome. It is completely incompatible with life and and but it is the stickiest of the chromosomes when you have a baby you have 23 chromosomes from mom you have 23 chromosomes from dad we all have 46 chromosomes in all in our cells but if those cells aren't splitting if those chromosomes aren't splitting the way they should be then you might have two chromosomes that stick together so 16 is a sticky one. So mom or dad can pass down both of their chromosomes, 16, and then the other partner have one. So then you got a trisomy, you got three instead of two of that particular uh, chromosome. Trisomy 21 is up there as well, but we know that that causes Down syndrome and that's compatible with life. And that's why um, the older you are, they're sort of the stickier chromosomes become. Mm -hmm. And after trisomy 16, then you have 21, which is why you have a higher risk rate of Down syndrome as you age. So chromosome abnormalities would be the number one cause. And then um, the second thing would be um, if you have it, different medical conditions that aren't controlled can cause this. And when I say uh, medical condition, I mean like if you have pre-existing diabetes and your hemoglobin A1C is eight or above, then you have a very high risk of having a baby with a chromosome, not a chromosome abnormality, excuse me. You have a baby with a, a structural abnormality, mm. um, a very high risk of that. Um, even if you're at seven, the risk of having a baby with a structural malformation is still 4% when the general population is one to 2%. And so if you have pre-existing diabetes, we want your hemoglobin A1C to be less than six, okay? Six or less to have the same risk as the general population of one to 2%. But yes, uncontrolled medical conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure, um, those are very common reasons. And they're things that we can help, okay? Mm -hmm. we, can, we can't really help how the chromosomes lie, but we can help whether or not our diabetes and our high blood pressure is controlled. Um, so those would be the most common reasons and then autoimmune disorders um, being medical problems. So if people have antibodies, that can cause you to have an, an increased risk of what's called antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, where those antibodies can attack um, cells as they start to embed into the placenta. Um, and we treat that with a combination of aspirin and Lovenox. So all of those things we work up before people get pregnant if they've had miscarriages so that they won't happen um, during their subsequent pregnancies. So this kind of leads me to my next question. Um, so for those uh, women who want to get pregnant but don't know that they have maybe a pre-existing um, disease or sickness or um, say they don't know they have high blood pressure or they don't know they um, have diabetes or, or, or at that point where it's like, oh, you're probably close to being a diabetic. Uh, what would you suggest? Because like for me, diabetes run in my family, high blood pressure runs in my family. And so I never really got an answer into regards, uh, in regards to the miscarriages I did have. So um, they always thought, well, maybe you just have um, 
um, issues with your cervix, uh, but that's not the issue. Um, and so now I, for me, I'm thinking, well, maybe all along it was me being borderline gestational um, at that point because a lot of my miscarriages were very early. Some was six weeks, 10 weeks. Um, and then the last one was at, literally at 15 weeks. And that wasn't never checked prior, you know, to me losing those particular babies. Um, but then when I switched doctors, that's the first thing they started checking was my, you know, my blood pressure, my diabetes, just to make sure that wasn't an issue. So I would say if somebody has had a miscarriage, those things should be checked. And listening to you, I feel, I hope that you would check for antiphospholipid antibody syndrome as well, because you don't have to have a diagnosis of um, a condition to have that. You don't have to have lupus or something to have those type of antibodies. Um, there are a lot of people that have antiphospholipid antibody syndrome that have recurrent miscarriages, especially that later 15 week, that's almost a mid trimester. Um, you know, that is a mid trimester miscarriage. So that, that requires a little bit further detailed workup. But I would say this, if people did not know they're like, oh, I'm, I'm for the most part healthy. I always tell people, if you know you want a baby, plan for the baby. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know, I would get a preconception consult before, and you can inbox me, you can, I mean, there, you can talk to your OB. Um, so somebody that can sort of talk you through what labs you need to get and talk you through how you need to adjust your diet. Um, if you need to lose weight, people, people like, I want to lose weight after the baby. No, you need to lose weight before mm -hmm. the baby if you have morbid obesity, because that's going to increase your risk of a better outcome if you lose weight before. Um, so I would say definitely get a preconception consult and literally you can schedule one online, you can schedule one virtually, or you can call your OB's office and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting pregnant. I need a preconception consult. And they'll refer you, if they don't do them, they'll refer you someone like me that does, uh, that's a maternal fetal medicine specialist that does a whole bunch of preconception consults so that we can make sure you're healthy. And I get preconception consults for super healthy people. And I'm like, yeah, what you waiting for? Go ahead and have a baby. But it's somebody going through and saying, okay, your thyroid has been checked. Good. Your A1C has been checked. Good. Do you have PCOS or do you not have PCOS? Okay, good. You're ovulating normal. Great. Um, and so go ahead and be pregnant, get pregnant because you have a very low risk of having a pregnancy complication. So I would say get a preconception console. And the other piece is if you aren't healthy for yourself, you won't be good for a baby. Mm -hmm. So you got to take care of yourself first. Um, and that's if you're ready to have a baby or not. Like I encourage people, don't wait until you're about to have a baby to all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to drink water and I'm going to do all this. Like, no, like we need to be here for these kids five, 10, 20 years from now when they're going to college. Um, so we got to be the, the healthiest version of ourselves now. And this, listen, this is the pot call the kettle black because I <laughs> had just got on this health kick, okay? But, because um, I wasn't doing right either. I wasn't doing right. But uh, we do have to always make sure that the body is ready to go through whatever it needs to go through. Yes. And I'm not telling you to be a size two because I won't ever get to a size two, <laughs> but making sure that you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're well-balanced and colorful and making sure you're eating snacks between your meals so that you're not binge eating all at once for one meal, making sure that you're drinking enough water um, before you're, you're pregnant. People that have good nutrition before 
end up having better pregnancies and they keep that nutritional status up during the pregnancy. So I would tell people, get your body right, get your mind mm -hmm. and your body right. Um, and the mind, it should not be ignored either. Like you have to mm -hmm. be mentally ready to have yes. a child. Um, children, I have a two year old and you know, unfortunately I had a miscarriage as well, Kim, um, the year before. And you have to be mentally ready to have a kid for you to go ahead and start trying to have a kid. So make sure you have a support system in, in place. Yes. Make sure you know, like who's gonna help you, you know, pick up your other kids if you're having, you know, if this is, you're having, um, you have additional children. So uh, just make sure you're, you're mentally okay with taking care of this little life because it's, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a tiny person that you are responsible for forever I mean, you got your best-selling author parents sitting <laughs> next to you right. you know listen yes. it's that my mom moved in with us and she is like harrison's nanny full time we, wow. we i told her to that's what her she's gonna be work. listen we put on a payroll because we need the support and you have to have those type of conversations to make sure your family's on the pay, on the same page to make sure not only are you healthy enough but mentally enough, mentally prepared enough, and you had the support right. to have a child mm -hmm. that's not going to deal with some emotional issues of their own if you're not around, right. you know, mm -hmm. if you're working and going to and fro. So, so to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a package deal of making mm -hmm. sure that you're prepared. And and you know, Doctor Plenty, that's pretty much with anything that we do in life, not just you know having a baby or or that, but anything you do in life, if you're going into business. Uh, for yourself, uh, trying out a new job, you still have to pr prepare for it and get mm -hmm. and talk to people and get consultations or whatever you need so that you'll be ready, like you say, physically and mentally, and not wait until it happens, oh, I'm going to have a child or I'm going to have this new job, I'm going to apply. But what are you doing in the meantime to get yourself ready for that? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love the fact that your mom is like, co-hosting this and when i show my mom this she's gonna be like you never let me co-host i'm like her mama is a best-selling author though okay her mama is a best-selling author <laughs> but you're absolutely right it's, it's like a package like you start a business you want to make sure your support people are there like who's gonna help me with this register who helped me put the paint on the walls right. like making sure you have support absolutely i completely agree Okay, so now that we talked about miscarriages, let us talk about the um, maternal mortality rate. So can you just tell us a little bit about maternal mortality and who is mostly affected? So um, we are affected. And when we, when we say maternal mortality, some of your listeners may be like, what does that mean? That means that we're talking about people that pass away in the pregnancy or within six months or even a year, we actually count much mortality after a year out after the birth. Okay, and so um, there's neonatal or the baby passing away within a year, and then there's maternal. And so when we talk about uh, neonatal mortality, you gotta also talk about maternal mortality. And I think the, the world is always focused on the kids, mm -hmm. right? And the way to decrease uh, neonatal mortality is to decrease the people in the NICU, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have preterm deliveries, we know that prematurity is a really big cause of babies passing away. But if the mom has medical conditions, that's a really big cause of be pay babies having to be delivered early. So the two pretty much go hand in hand. So when we talk about maternal mortality, we're talking about the mom passing away. And 
black and brown women are four times more likely to die in uh, during pregnancy delivery or within that year of giving birth. Um, and we don't really know why exactly that is, but there's a, there's a lot of risk factors with this. So one, we do have a higher rate of having different medical comorbidities, okay? So we got comorbidities that can be uncontrolled or uh, people uh, don't pay attention to the warning signs. And I, I, everybody that I take care of has my personal cell phone number. And I tell them, if you have to go to a hospital, I need to know about it mm -hmm. because I don't want somebody to go to triage, me not know about it. And then they're triaged by whomever and then mm -hmm. sent home. And then the next week I see them in the clinic and they say, oh yeah, I went to the hospital. I had high blood pressure. Why did you not call me? Because I know they're not going to call me because they may not, the doctors that are triaging may not call because they, they are they, the person that meet inpatient criteria, or if they're seen by the, in the ER, they don't understand that something mild range is uh, mild range blood pressure is a big deal in pregnancy. And so mm -hmm. that's why I tell them, if you're going anywhere near a hospital, no matter what hospital it is, I need to know about it because I need to make sure that you don't need to, uh, to be admitted. So sometimes we have that because of comorbidities. Okay. Mm -hmm. Preeclampsia being a really, really serious comorbidity. So preeclampsia is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage as which we look for as protein in your urine and preeclampsia is the whole reason I went into the medical field. Um, I had a cousin that passed away from complications of eclampsia, which pre means before, and then eclampsia is when you have a seizure in pregnancy because of that high blood pressure and vascular damage. She had aspiration pneumonia, and then she ended up dying. So, um, you know, that's the whole reason. And, you know, she's a 23-year-old, super healthy, um, second baby, first baby, no problems at all. She wasn't, you know, thick like me. She was skinny little thing. And she went into the hospital and she had a headache and they told her, oh, well, just go home, take some Tylenol. She went back with the same headache or blood pressure, a little mild range. And they said, well, your blood pressure isn't that bad. Just go home. Now, this is the ER she's going to in a little small mm. town. And then she seized. And then they, you know, she got picked up by EMS, brought to the hospital and they life flighted her to uh, a hospital in um, Baton Rouge. From there, she was transferred to a, a hospital in New Orleans. So, uh, and then she just, you know, she ended up having uh, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is when uh, you're basically have lung failure and you can go into what's called disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, which is a bleeding issue. Like you, your blood doesn't clot. So you just bleed and bleed and bleed. Mm -hmm. And then she, uh, died you know she had aspiration pneumonia and then she died as well um because of all those other complications so um it's really serious i mean you don't have to have conditions to have preeclampsia okay preeclampsia is just a diagnosis in pregnancy and so if you have a headache that's not going away with tylenol you need to go in because that is the number one thing that's affecting black and brown women it is mm -hmm. hypertensive disorders of pregnancy with preeclampsia being the most serious of those and when you have, when you go into an ER and they don't realize that you're pregnant or they're not, they don't know because our ER doctors are great, but they don't know pregnancy complications. Um, and they're, they don't have protocols in place where you have to see an OB before you leave an ER if you're pregnant. It can lead to uh, a higher risk of deaths. And, and black and brown women don't complain as much as our Caucasian counterparts. They just don't. And so if somebody has a headache and I see them, they're like, yeah, I have a headache. I'm like, how bad is it? I mean, it's like an eight. 
And if a, a, a Caucasian doctor saw that, they'd probably been like, oh, well, she was talking and, and texting on her phone. So it mm. can't be that serious. Whereas I'm like, well, she said it's an eight, you know, and you, and the you, eight is an eight, wherever yeah. it is. We're going to get rid of this headache. And, and if you, we don't, that means you have pregnancy. And you know, Go ahead. And you know what? Uh, for black women, because we have been taught to persevere, you know, mm-hmm. in spite of. So you wake up and you're not feeling well, but in spite of, you're still going to get up and go to work. You, you, yeah. you, you are maybe barely able to do it, but because of the cultural, we are going to persevere and do it anyway. And know that yeah. very well that we probably shouldn't go into work today, but we're going to go anyway. Right. And yeah, that happens all the time. Yes. And so we got those comorbidities. We have preeclampsia. Hemorrhage is still a big deal. Okay. You can have a delayed hemorrhage, meaning you go home and then bleed. Okay. Bleeding is still a big deal. If you're going through two pads an hour, you need to go back to the hospital. And then we can't ignore that. Why are we getting all these things? Are we being ignored? Mm -hmm. So some of this has to do with unconscious bias and systemic racism. And as a doctor practicing, I'm not proud to say it, but only 2% of doctors are black women. 5% 5% of doctors are black. And so you got 95% that aren't black that may not be able to relate with us and subconsciously may have some type of bias against us. And you identify with people that look like you, that you can relate to. And unfortunately, if you got the majority of people taking care of, you know, being Caucasian, and then they're taking care of people that don't look like them because black and brown women are dying at the highest rates then they're not relating. And so in the healthcare system, we have to do something about unconscious bias training and really trying to weed out who's racist and who's not. Because mm-hmm. we can't have racist people taking care of black and brown people. And then of course, th- there's chronic stress because of racism we've dealt with. Mm-hmm. So if you look at um, data, right? Hispanic women have a high rate of mortality but they don't have nearly as high as us. Mm. And they are not getting prenatal care initiated, a third of them until the second and third trimester, late second and third trimester. Mm. But they still don't have our mortality rates, but they don't have the chronic stress we've had to deal with that's creating these vascular processes and leading to hypertension and these other comorbidities that we may have. Mm. If you look at um, people that are have immigrated here so Africans by chance so if you have Nigerian American and they're first generation and they haven't been in the country for 10 years they have a lower rate of preeclampsia and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy but once they're here for a generation or at least 10 years then they have the same rate that we have and why do you think and so the chronic stress that's so I think it has to stem from because there's been a lot of studies on chronic stress and how chronic stress has led to early onset conditions Mm -hmm. such as hypertension, obesity, diabetes, and things like that within the African-American community. And so that chronic stress stems from babies being born into a racist environment. Mm -hmm. And, and, And as a result, there are different hormones in Black people that are not in Caucasian people. Like this is very well documented. And uh, so you can see that by seeing people that are here and they come and deliver 
versus people that's been here for a while. And then they've come and in here and deliver. And so it's not something that you can snap your fingers and just get rid of things. And we say, you know, we joke and laugh and say, you know, black don't crack, but realistically mm -hmm. our cells are aging much mm -hmm. faster than our Caucasian counterparts, which is why we also have a shorter life expectancy overall. Now we have to do our part to negate all of that, right? So the only thing we can change is making sure we pick a doctor that looks like us or at least one that we feel we can communicate with and relate to and making sure that we're doing the things we need to do to be as healthy as possible and as prepared as possible. Wow. Uh, that was literally like it, it has my stomach turning. Food. Yes. Um <laughs> I'm almost like speechless. Uh and kind of stick to my stomach. <laughs> and, and you know, it kind of goes with uh what Kim when she, what she experienced and she was talking to me and you know, and wondering why she was going through the mis different miscarriages and she's talking to her doctor before and you know what's what's going on with my body and what have you and even with the last one miscarriage she had assumed that she had done everything possible and that her doctor was doing everything possible and I know, like you were saying, if you feel something, make sure you call your doctor and go in. Well, she was calling the right people, so she thought. And they were advising her, well, no, you're okay. You don't have to come in. But when I look back at what some of the things she said was happening, the first thing they should have said, you come in. Let us check you out. But they were saying, no, if you don't have this and this is not occurring, then you are okay because you've, fat, you've passed that point where, you know, you may have a miscarriage. And it's like I said, it, it, it really makes me stick to my stomach thinking about it and I'm almost emotional because, like my mom said, I definitely went through a lot of that um, with the different um, OBs that I had. And so... My first two miscarriages, you know, I just wasn't really feeling her, and um, it just was a disconnect between her and I and my husband. Like, we just, it, she wasn't communicating with us, so we got rid of her and got another OB. Well, this particular OB, I, I thought, you know, she was specialized in high risk because um, I did, prior to getting her, I did visit um, a fertility doctor just to make sure that everything was working the way it should be. And if there was any issues, they would let me know. And it wasn't no major issues that they had to, you know, fix or whatever. I think just my prolactin level was a little bit low. And got an OB, which was in the same building as them. So I'm like, okay, well, this person, um, she kind of know my history. She's in the same facility as them. So kind of trust this person. And I found out that she really wasn't communicating with me. It was me just saying, oh, hey, how you doing? And we go and have the ultrasound, and that's the end of the visit. And so she was my um, OB for two of my other miscarriages, and she was the one for the one that lost that 15 weeks. And when I, um, when I got pregnant that time, I really was vocal about what I wanted, um, what I needed, what I felt, and what I wanted to be put on. And I felt like I personally should not have to tell a doctor what to do. Like, they should already have that information. They should already have my chart. I already know what my history is, what what my background is. And they should be the ones coming in the room like, okay, you know what? You done had four miscarriages. This one we're not going to let happen, and this is what we're going to do. Have, like, a checklist or something. But I, I found out, you know, she didn't do any of that. It was me telling her this is what we want. And 
during that last week of me um, being pregnant before I lost the baby, she took me off some medicine and I really wasn't feeling it. Cause I'm like, you know, this is the furthest I got in my pregnancy. You know, I do believe I should just stay on this medicine longer until I can't anymore, you know, until I can't, um, until I reach that, reach that mark where I can't be on that particular medicine, which was the progesterone for me. Um, but she took me off and I- I'm telling you immediately, probably like two days after, um, I lost the baby. But when I, when I, before I lost the baby, like my mom said, I was calling, I was telling my husband, like, you know what, um, I'm kind of bleeding, but it's not like heavy blood is just spotting. Um, but I'm concerned because I had several miscarriages before. So like, I'm concerned. And so I'm calling the ER and they're like, well, no, if you're not feeling this, if you're not having any pain, if it's not bright red, you're not miscarrying, you should be fine. Just wait till your next visit, which was, um, will be Monday. Cause I started bleeding on a Saturday, Saturday night into Sunday. It was like, just wait till Monday. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But I kept calling back with like every hour because I'm like, okay, this feeling is not going away. It just feels like I'm full. Um, I'm still spotting. And and then they just kept saying, well, just you're not, it doesn't sound like a miscarriage. Don't worry about it. And it was to the point where I just told my husband, let's go to the doctor or let's go to the um, hospital because something is not right. I knew in my heart, because this is my body, that something wasn't right. Um, And by the time I got there, they checked us in, and then I went to the bathroom because I had to use the bathroom. That's when I had the baby. <laughs> and oh I'm God. just like, I was just so distraught because it's like, this is what I was telling you. This is what I was feeling, but you Did kept you have dismissing. cervical insufficiency? I can't even tell you what was wrong. That's the thing. So um, after I had the baby, they were like, do you want testing done? I'm like, yes, because I want to know what happened, what caused this or anything. Um, but and after each miscarriage, I asked for testing. I don't think they ever did the testing because I never got back what was the actual real reason as to why I miscarried so many times. So then this time, um, before I even got pregnant, we weren't even trying to get pregnant this time. I was working out, and um, but I did go visit a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And I looked for someone who looked like me, and um, who I can relate to, and then just looked at their bio. What did they specialize in? And so I didn't find no one that was African-American, but I found someone who was Hispanic. And in her bio, she definitely had, she um, she uh, have experience in just gestational diabetes, um, high blood pressure, and, and just all these other things which are high risk for women and um, that are serious. So I'm like, okay, if she specializes in these things, I think she'll be a great OB for me. So that's who I have now as my OB. And I, honestly, it's like night and day. It's totally different. Um, they have a, a team that works together, and they're on it, like I said, from the start. So that's how I found out I had gestational diabetes. I never knew that. Um, so that could have been one of my issues in my prior pregnancies that I never knew. They they checked me early from, like, I want to say (laughs) in the first trimester, they were checking me for this stuff. And um, they had me put on medicine, low-carb diet, everything um, that didn't happen 
in my prior pregnancies. And like I said, it's night and day, and I just, it's like a breath of fresh air. They come in, they talk to me, ask questions. This is what we're going to do next. What do you want to do, or what do you want to see happen? Um, but they're always talking to me, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, emailing me, uh, messages in my, my chart, um, telling me, okay, this is what you need to do next. Make sure you check this. Um, let's control your um, your sugar intake, so um, take this amount of insulin. So this, so your fasting um, sugar won't be as high as this, or you know, um, they're just. I just feel totally, totally. It's like a different experience for me. And so when you talked about just you know having someone that you can relate to, um, and just doctors talking to you, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't get that. This is totally a different experience for me. Like, like this pregnancy. Not saying I wasn't in love before, but it's like. I, I can't even explain it to you. That's how, when you started talking about it, it was making me sick to my stomach <laughs> because of all that you talked about is what I experienced in the past pregnancies with doctors or OBs. So she find out Ooh. now she, she's not just a number, you know, she's an individual, and she feels that uh, she's getting the care and the love and the support from the doctors. And whoever and their team, as well as from her family. So, well, I'm really glad that you found someone that you can relate to, um, and that can relate to you, and that is willing to take the time, because it's our jobs to take time. It's our jobs to make sure that you are okay, that we've ruled out everything. And I'm not saying that your OBs in the past did anything wrong, because sometimes. Miscarriage can, it can happen, but they have to do their due diligence in making sure we're optimizing your health so that you don't have this again. Um, the fact that you delivered in the bathroom, I'm wondering, like, do you have a cerclage? If you mind, you, do you have a cerclage? Do you have cervical They um, So no. now my second trimester, and that's what they've been checking for. And my, it said my cervix is great. It, like they haven't seen okay, any good. changes. So uh, again, I don't know what happened to that last pregnancy, what issue that, you know, it caused for me to miscarry. Um, but they're doing all the checks now just to make sure, because they thought the same thing. Like, okay, um, you know, is it a cerclage or whatever? Um, is something wrong with your cervix? But so far, so good. Like the cervix been, my cervix been great so far. And how far along are you now? Um, five months. So I'm 21 weeks. 21 weeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 21 weeks. You had your anatomy scan now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Okay, so you have two more weeks of viability. Yes. 23 weeks is viability. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad that you found somebody you can relate to. Um, and I'm surprised that your, your general OB would not have sent you to a high-risk specialist. Correct. Um, like a couple of miscarriages ago. Right. Okay, because three miscarriages would be considered recurrent pregnancy loss, and that would almost necessitate a referral mm -hmm. to a high-risk specialist. So, but either way, hindsight, <laughs> 2020, we got this baby. Right. You got your podcast. You got your, your best-selling author mom. You got your husband <laughs> editing. I mean, you, you, you've done amazing things. And God's timing is perfect. So yes. I'm just, I'm elated, overjoyed for you. I'm over, overjoyed for you. Thank you so much. Um, so and I'm sorry to go on about a tangent about myself, because I definitely have a couple no, more fine. questions to ask in regards to maternal mortality. Um, 
So and I think you kind of asked the, uh, answered a couple of them. Um, so again, how can we reduce the maternal mortality rate um, in African American women? If we had an ideal uh, situation, so the things that we can't change quickly, of course, if we could reduce racism, that would help. Um, tackling unconscious bias and unconscious bias training for physicians would be very helpful. And I know there's a lot of hospital systems that are starting to mandate that, so that's good. Um, things we can do, making sure that you're optimizing your health, um, making sure you're drinking your 80 to 100 ounces of water a day, making sure you're getting 150 minutes a week of exercise or 30 minutes, five days a week of exercise. It doesn't have to be extreme, extreme like just walking for 30 minutes is fine. It doesn't, you don't have to power walk, just to walk mm -hmm. um, for 30 minutes to move for 30 minutes a day. And then getting things checked like your A1C to make sure you don't have diabetes and getting um, your blood pressure checked. And then if you are, if you feel bad, get it checked. Okay. If you haven't headaches, you know, it's not normal to have headaches several times a week. I mean, people, some people live with that. That is not normal. Like get that checked out. Um, that could be a sign that you have pre-existing hypertension and you just did not know about it. So optimizing your health before um, pregnancy would be very, very helpful to reduce maternal mortality because then you wouldn't have the complications in pregnancy in itself. Um, and then also making sure that we're diligent after delivery because 85% of maternal mortality deaths are after the pregnancy. They're not during the pregnancy. So making sure we stay diligent, making it through pregnancy is not enough. Making sure that you're checking your blood pressure at home afterwards to make sure your blood pressure is not too high. If you have a headache or you don't feel good afterwards, calling your OB. Demand that you see your OB, okay? I know a lot of people like, oh, my postpartum check was done by a nurse practitioner. That no, like you need to see an OB, like, especially if you have a high risk condition, mm -hmm. like you need to see your doctor, like somebody needs to assess you, make sure um, everything is, is good. Um, and, and not ignoring, like if you're bleeding too heavy and it's been your home already, like call and just say, Hey, listen, I'm going through this many pads. Is this normal? Or just go in. If you're not getting answers, just go to the hospital because that's the way you can advocate for yourself and make sure you're safe. And don't downplay symptoms. I have patients that sort of downplay symptoms. Don't do that. Like nobody else does that except for us. <laughs> don't downplay your symptoms. Like tell people like, this is what's going on and be very serious about this is what's going on and stop refusing to be admitted. Like yeah. I have patients that I'm begging to be admitted. I'm like, everybody else is not going to beg you to be admitted. Mm -hmm. Like if you refuse admission for somebody else, somebody else might say, okay, and document right. non-compliant. I counsel her, she refused admission or leaving against medical advice. You know, that takes the doctor off the hook. Mm -hmm. Leave against medical advice, they're no longer responsible. So don't do that. Why do you think that's, that happens with African-American? Why do you think we do that? Because I know uh, even with my husband uh, and other people, and maybe even with myself, how you, we know the doctor or, or can say you need to do this, and we're, we refuse. We say, oh, I'm okay. But... Um, you know, I, and I won't just beat us up because we're not the only people that yeah. do that. But since we're focusing on us and how we reduce our mortality, I'll speak to us. And a lot of it is uh, my patients that tell me, no, I can't stay in the hospital. And, you know, the OBs are calling me because they're like, well, you got her to be here. You look like her. So I'm gonna call and consult you. Maybe you can talk some sense into her. 
as a lot of the time people have childcare issues or there's something else going on that they don't really want to talk about. Right. Like the number one thing for a lot of my patients is like my other child is at home. I, you know, I don't have anybody to care for my child. My husband can't care for my child. My husband can't work or I got stuff to take care of at home. Okay. A lot of people have that. And I tell people, listen, if you're not around, true, true. <laughs> you know, who's going to take care of it then? Mm -hmm. If you're not at your best, then you're not going to be around for your children. You're not going to be around for your husband. You won't be that. That's the last floor you clean. You come go home. You need to clean up. That's the last floor you clean. Right. So you have to get yourself at a hundred percent and things will function temporarily without you. But a lot, I have a lot of people that say they don't have childcare or I'm estranged from my family. I don't have family support. I haven't talked to this family member in such and such amount of years. You know, I got to go back to work. I'm like, listen, this is the time to lean on your family. If you have that kind of support, you know, uh, I have patients that I haven't talked to my mom in five years. I'm like, listen, this wow. time you make up with your mom. Like right. <laughs> you didn't have to make up with your mom. Okay. But you know, Call your mom. I, I think sometimes too, we're scared. Um, we're scared yeah. to find out what the outcome will be or what the doctor will tell us. Um, because for me, for a long time, um, when I know I was having miscarriages, I was scared to seek out help to, cause I didn't want them to tell me like, okay, something is wrong with your ovaries or, you know, whatever. I was scared to get the diagnosis of what could possibly be wrong. And so for a lot of us, I, I definitely think that, um, we're scared of doctors we're scared to get the diagnosis we're scared to be put on medicine yeah because we don't want to be uh that other person we're like oh you're a part of this group now you have diabetes or you have cancer or you have this um you don't want to hear that because you you've seen what happens to people who are diagnosed with certain things um but i'm like why be scared get it checked out whatever it is because now you can prevent other things from happening yeah, I, I think it's very natural to be scared, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the unknown, like you're getting a workup and you're like, what is going on? Like, nobody's really giving me any answers in it really quickly. And I'm, I'm frightened. And so you do have people that are in denial of the diagnosis. But I tell people that doesn't make the diagnosis go away. Mm -hmm. Like just because you don't know the diagnosis, it doesn't mean it, it's not there. And even if you didn't go to the hospital, it doesn't mean that it's it's not there. There's a lot of people with the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to know that they have COVID because they feel like COVID is a death sentence. So they feel like I need to stay home and I'll just deal with it at home. And then once it passes, then, then I'll admit that I had COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but if you get sick in the interim, mm -hmm. you could die. Right. So it's better to know so that people can know how to handle you. People can know what to look out for. It's better to know that you're diabetic than all of a sudden you getting that foot amputated, like at, you know, 50, like it's better to know those things. And Kim, you said a lot about gestational diabetes. I mean, gestational diabetes is just that it's not type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the good thing is it goes away, right? But it does put you at risk for type two diabetes later on. You know, perhaps this is the wake up call that says, hey, you have a risk factor now. Now you know you have a risk factor. So then you can know what to do with it, you know, later on to prevent you from getting type two di diabetes later on. When you know better, you do better. Right. So when you know your diagnosis before it gets really super serious, then you can do things to to uh, adjust your lifestyle to reduce your risk. So yeah, I do think some of that is uh, people just don't want to know. But I encourage people know so you know how to, you can reduce your risk of complications further. Okay. And oh, go ahead. piggybacking off of that. Um, Kim called me and she was she was very upset when she found out that 
they were going to be testing her for gestational diabetes. And then I had to text her back, and I told her that, you know, with, I know a lot of people who've had this and this just doing pregnancy, that's typical that women gets the, get the gestational diabetes. So don't overwhelm yourself with it. First, you don't actually have the test back. You haven't even had the test to know whether or not you are gest- gestational diabetic. So we just, you know. Just wait until you get the test and see what the results are. So when she did that, she got the test back and said, Mom, I am. But I think after my talking to her and further talking to her, and and I prayed for her and with her, that that kind of eased her mind. And also knowing that, you know, like this could just be doing pregnancy and not how you do or, or react to it, respond to it. Doing pregnancy is whether or not it may transfer over after pregnancy. So I think that right. really helped, yeah. Right. And then even if you end up getting diabetes after pregnancy, right, people that are diabetes that live healthy lifestyles Mm -hmm. have the same risk that everybody else does. The the issue with us is that we don't necessarily want to live a healthy lifestyle. Right. And so we can run into some complications further down. But gestational diabetes, like your mom says, is short lived. You know, it's, it's short lived. It's not something you have to deal with for the rest of your life. But realistically, we should be eating like this anyway. Like right. we should all be eating right. a low right. carb diet and yeah. <laughs> making sure our protein levels are high. I mean, that's, we're supposed to all be eating a diabetic diet. So, and, and then also I have, I try to focus on, I give so much negative news every day with dealing with, you know, different, you know, strokes and heart attacks and babies that have lethal malformations and things like that, that when I do get diagnoses that aren't lethal or aren't horrible, I really try to hark on the positive. And the positive in this is you got an answer, right? Like you didn't know anything else in your other pregnancies that was going on, but you now have an answer to why these other pregnancies could have happened and you're treating yourself and now you've made it much further in this pregnancy being much healthier than you did in the other. So I would say, just try to focus on the positive aspect. Um, Even if you get diabetes 10 years from now, I mean, that's not a death sentence. I mean, you can control your blood sugars and eat healthy and, and live a normal lifestyle. You can travel to the Bahamas and do all these other Mm -hmm. things you've been doing and be fine. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, This was really a wonderful topic, and I really just stepped out of my (laughs) shell to talk about um, more of my experiences in regards to my pregnancy. So, Dr. Plenty, we do thank you for coming on A Mother's Love podcast today and talk to everybody about miscarriages and maternal mortality. Um, Can you just tell people how they can find you, and um, if they want to listen to your podcast, where can they find it? You know, first, before I said that, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to the both of you guys. <laughs> and I'm like, you. it's over? Right. It's over already? <laughs> yeah. No, we so, really appreciate uh, so, you. <laughs> of course. So thank you guys so much for having me. Um, as, as you guys said earlier, I do have a podcast. It's called Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. It's on all platforms, basically. Apple Podcasts, I Heart Radio, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, you can visit uh, my website, which is drnicoleplenty.com or pregnancypearls.com um, to find direct links to those podcasts. You can also see my link tree on my social media. Um, on Instagram, I'm pregnancy underscore pearls. And on Facebook, I'm um, pregnancy pearls. And I also have a YouTube channel. I have to have you on the YouTube oh. channel. I have to have you as a guest. <laughs> 
you and and best-selling <laughs> best-selling author okay um and my youtube channel is just youtube.com forward slash um pregnancy pearls with dr plenty um if people want to tune in and actually see my face okay. um uh as i talk about uh, different questions and topics that people uh, have asked me about and then also i did forget to mention you are a co-author yourself so talk about is it called white yeah. coats Talk about the book real quick um, and where it's, they can get that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, it's Women in White Coats, Volume 3. So um, there's a cohort of us uh, women that came together as women physicians, um, eight of us to be exact. And we all shared our personal stories about being a woman, being a physician, and different obstacles we've overcome. So um, I deal, I talked about my high-risk pregnancy, um, having almost died during my pregnancy, um, multiple complications, um, and then even postpartum, uh, my postpartum journey. So um, people can find that on my link tree um, as well. They can purchase the book through Amazon. Um, if they if they are not following me, but you should be following me, so you should be able to click on the right. tree. Are you on Facebook as well? Because mm -hmm. I, I I saw yes. that I saw that, but I didn't know who you were. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Facebook as well uh, at Pregnancy Pearls uh, on Facebook. So yep. Well, awesome. Again, we thank you for um, being a part of our podcast today. We thoroughly enjoyed you. Um, we definitely would have to have you on again. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and so for the people who don't know, A Mother's Love podcast um, was started based off of my nonprofit, which is called A Mother's Love. We give care packages to local hospitals to help those women who have suffered a miscarriage to start their journey of healing. So if you're out there and you know someone who has suffered a miscarriage recently um, and just want to send them a care package, make sure you contact me. I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram um, at A Mother's Love uh, WI. Or I'm on Facebook. It's called A Mother's Love. And you can reach me on um, my website, which is www.amotherslove, which is L-U-V, Inc., W-I.com. And just reach out. Um, we would definitely love to send a care package to your loved one who may have suffered from a miscarriage. Um, until next time, you guys take care and enjoy your weekend. Mm -hmm.